This is a Federal News Network podcast. A group of researchers at the Argonne National Laboratory have one word for you, just one word, plastic. Well, polyurethane, to be precise. This widely used material is almost never recycled. Well, now the lab has teamed up with Northwestern University and Dow Chemical Company to, you might say, modernize how polyurethane is made and handled. Here with more, the Fuels and Products Group Leader at Argonne Systems Assessment Center, Troy Hawkins. Mr. Hawkins, good to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. And polyurethane sounds like an obscure topic, but really in daily life, people are surrounded by polyurethane and products made from it. And if it's not recycled, then it sounds like you've stumbled onto a really important environmental concern here. Fair way to put it? Yeah, we use polyurethane in a number of different products, and our group has been looking at how to improve the recycling and circularity of plastics use. And polyurethane is a real challenge. There aren't many ways to mechanically recycle polyurethane, and the current recycling of polyurethane is very limited. So, in other words, this is one of those ones that lands in landfills as opposed to recycling bins and maybe remelted and made into new plastic? That's true. Yes. Some polyurethane is shredded and reused in carpet underlayment or certain paddings. So some of the foam is reused, but that foam does break down over time and use. And once it's reached the end of its life, it ends up in landfills, as you said, or incinerated. Other uses of polyurethane are in buildings and vehicles. It's really ubiquitous, and very little of those other uses of polyurethane are recycled. So it also has pretty big economic impact, too, then, the use of it. That's right. That's one of the keys to identifying viable pathways to recycle it, is making sure that they can compete with conventional polyurethane or other polymers. All right. So tell us what Argonne is doing here. How did you develop this program, and what is the goal here? This work that I'm talking about today is part of a project called Resin, which has to do with the responsible use and recycling of polyurethane. We've teamed up with Linda Broadbelt and John Torkelson, and I'm working closely with Jennifer Dunn and Margaret McDonnell and Christina Negri across Argonne and Northwestern University to develop pathways for recycling polyurethane, breaking it down, and then rebuilding up the polymers. And the project spans across work in the lab, modeling and computational work to understand what pathways might be the most viable. And then my role, together with Jennifer Dunn and a couple others on the project, is to do the analysis to understand how these processes might be scaled up, what the economics might look like, what we call life cycle assessment or environmental impacts might look like. So we're providing that feedback to the team and ultimately benchmarking the technologies that are developed in the program. And I see Dow Chemical Company. I guess they're a producer of polyurethane or polyurethane products. Are they involved also, and what's their role here? Yeah, we've had some industrial partners, and Dow has really been critical to providing feedback to the project, grounding our work in the realities of of their industry. You know, here today, I'm talking about this material flow analysis that we did of polyurethane in the U.S., and we have a number of Dow co-authors who provided feedback, provided data, really helped to keep the analysis grounded in what they see in their work. We're speaking with Troy Hawkins. He's the Fuels and Products Group Leader at Argonne National Laboratory's Fuels and Products Group. So is the outcome of this research a process for recycling polyurethane, or is it also concerned with the original manufacturing of it in such a way that renders it more 
recyclable at the end of its product life cycle? Yeah, there's two threads to the project. One thread has to do with identifying pathways for recycling polyurethane and developing the chemistry to develop new or like new polyurethane polymers from used material. The other thread has to do with looking for pathways to replace the chemicals used in the production of polyurethane with bio-based precursors. So that's something that, for example, the computational modeling has been looking at what uh, molecules are, are most promising for this purpose. And then our work is looking at what are the pathways that could be used and what are the bio-based polymers that are out there and what are their economics and environmental implications. And what is polyurethane made from now? What's its main raw material? Oil? Yeah. Polyurethane is produced from fossil feedstocks, oil, and natural gas today. So in developing a new type of process for making polyurethane, then you need industry to kind of help with whether it would be economically viable because if it costs, I don't know, 10 cents a pound finished product, now I'm making this up, and it would be $10 using bio, that probably wouldn't fly. That's exactly right. And our place in the research is to look at the early stage technologies and what's feasible. The hope is that those can be developed to a point that they could be handed off to industry to be further commercialized. The other context is, I mean, in the current administration, there's a push to decarbonize and reduce the greenhouse gas emissions across, you know, all of the different activities happening in society. And so while it's not our place to, you know, propose what policies should be, it's likely that there will be incentives for lower carbon chemicals or polyurethane in the future. The economics of these technologies may change as the market landscape evolves. I guess we need a way to make it out of algae or something that you can grow in a pond instead of drilling something out of the earth, I suppose. And you mentioned several parties. There's the Argonne people, and then you've got the Northwestern University people and the Dow people. Who does what? Do you have researchers come in from the college and work at Argonne Laboratories sites, or how does it all work programmatically? There's a number of pieces of the project. As I mentioned, John Torkelson's lab work is happening at Northwestern University, and there's uh, definitely exchange and interaction amongst the researchers on the project. Linda Broadbelt, her modeling activities are happening at Northwestern University. At Argonne National Lab, Meltem Ergun Demirtes is leading a lab that's looking at the degradation of polyurethane and the potential for what happens to it in the environment. Margaret McDonnell is leading a effort that looks at the potential impacts of the different degradation chemicals that could occur from polyurethane and new chemistries of polyurethane to understand and kind of head off problems that could happen as a result of changes to the way that we do things. You know, today we have a system that, while it does involve some toxic chemicals, it's very well managed. And so the risks of the current production practices for polyurethane there's measures in place to ensure that the people aren't being exposed to those chemicals and that once they're used uh, to produce the polyurethane, they're rendered inert. And as we develop these new chemistries, which we hope will be lower carbon, more circular, and more environmentally benign, we do need to keep an eye on what happens at all stages in the life cycle of polyurethane. And just a final question, there are efforts like this, research, changing industries, efforts happening across the federal government. In a case like this, do you find that the work is mostly computational or is it mostly laboratory wet-based with boiling beakers type of work or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both. And in fact, this is a really good example of a, a team that spans many different levels. And as you said, both lab, uh, wet chemistry and analysis and computational work. 
And is there a timeline for deliverables here? Yeah, we'll be continuing to work on the project through the next uh, year or so, at which point we'll wrap up. The team will also be looking for opportunities to continue in, in similar veins. So, yeah, we hope to have the opportunity to continue this collaboration on into the future. Troy Hawkins is the Fuels and Products Group Leader at Argonne National Laboratories Fuels and Products Group. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Tune your polyurethane device to the Federal Drive by subscribing at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. 
and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, 
During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.